Okay, hope that you're having a great summer. I've just put out my behavioral economics series. It's a four-part series where I speak with some of my lecturers from Harvard Business School about what we can learn from the study of behavioral economics and how when it comes to investing and managing our money, if we're not careful, we can be our own worst enemy. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to check out those episodes and to receive the back catalogue of other episodes too. This episode, I'm speaking with Pat Garrett, co-founder and CEO of Six Park Asset Management. And full disclosure, as you're probably aware, he's a colleague of mine as I'm involved with Six Park too. Pat, thank you for joining us on The Richards Report. Ted, pleasure to be uh, sitting across from an award-winning podcast host. (laughs) (laughs) Good to hear that you're an avid listener. Uh, Um, I assume that you've subscribed and that you've given me a a rating too? Of course I have, and I've disclosed it as well. Oh, thank you very much. So let's have a chat about investing in 2018 and what we saw over the last 12 months and what we learned. You're listening to The Richards Report, where we will speak with investment experts from around the country. We will cut through the jargon to allow you to make more insightful investment decisions for your future. This is The Richards Report. Okay, let's kick it off. Let's start off with the elephant in the podcast. Uh, That is the return of volatility this year. Pat, um, hasn't 2018 been so different to uh, the previous year in 2017 in terms of price movements? So tech stocks, well... They've fallen off their pedestal this year after so many great successive years. We even had a correction earlier on in the year too. But um, people forget that most years actually have a correction. Pat, from your point of view, any lessons throughout the year when it comes to volatility? Yeah, I think probably the main lesson is that uh, it, it was a reminder that we'd had it pretty much so well for, for so long since the GFC in terms of generally calm market, markets historically, as you referred to, and that we're kind of back back to normal, so to speak, in terms of the fact that there's any given year, there's typically movements up or down of 10%. And so it's a bit more return to, to, to normal. Um, I think what will be really interesting, given given this return of volatility, which everyone refers to volatility, but it's been kind of one directional, most, yeah. Most, yeah. mostly yeah. down, yeah. Um, uh, is, is as it relates to sort of the active and passive debate, which has obviously been one that's garnered a lot of headlines and a lot of the views that when markets start to get volatile, the, the active... Uh, fund managers will, will show their value. I think it'll be incredibly interesting to see how that plays out over time now that we're starting to see markets move around a lot more. Okay. Uh, moving on to Trump. Uh, so we're nearing the halfway mark of Trump's presidency. So many headlines. I'm a huge fan of a TV show called Last Week Tonight, and pretty much every single 40-minute episode now is just on Trump. Tariffs and trade wars, well, they're still going on. Pat, do you think the enthusiasm of the recent tax cuts he got through at the end of last year is fading? Because that really fueled the markets there for a long time. Well, I think the I think the tax cuts were really sort of some icing on a cake. Yeah. Um, I think they certainly contributed to the sentiment that helped drive markets up. But I think there was a lot of other stuff going on, particularly as it relates to the behavioral economics, um, which you've talked about in a number of your other podcasts. I think there's a lot of debate as to whether the tax cuts which were mainly for the corporations and, and higher net worth individuals, how much of that's really going to trickle down and have an impact on sort of the ordinary, uh, ordinary American, and in particular what it translates into terms of wage growth. And interestingly, wage growth, I think, recently tipped through 3%, um, which has been gradually kind of growing over the, over the course of the year. So 
Um, how much of that is due to the tax cuts and how much is that is due to the labor market? You know, there, it, it's, and it was a, the ordinary Americans that, yeah. vo- that voted him in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we could obviously spend quite a lot of time talking about Trump <laughs> uh, and, and certainly the dynamics of what drives economies and share markets and, 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 and wages and inflation. But I, I think in the grand scheme of things, the tax cuts were, were one piece of, 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 a, of a much broader picture of what was going on in the markets. And I don't think there's any real euphoria that's uh, going away that's you know part of this market dynamic now well maybe uh, we need to revisit this yeah. with it with its own episode yeah. but um what I what I want to say before we move on from Trump is is about him on social media and um, Twitter is, has been considered uh, like not an equal peer to Facebook or Instagram as it doesn't get the same traction that they both get so if nothing else I feel like um, Trump is certainly making Twitter more interesting. Pat, I know you're I think, on Twitter. You're I think on that's Twitter a fair too. comment. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and who knows what we've got in store on uh, on Twitter with um, Trump in 2019? But I, I do think. Imagine if he had an Instagram account and the same mindset towards just gramming whatever he was thinking and, and putting it up on Instagram it would be huge. Yeah. Um, especially his Insta stories. Um, yeah. Who knows? Maybe we, we might see that in 2019. Ted, you mentioned volatility, and I find it incredibly interesting in, in a comment on the nature of volatility and fear that's in the markets. Uh, with regard to, for, just to pick one example, tr- trade, uh, there'll be a headline one day that says there's some progress being made and the markets will go up 500 points. And Trump will tweet, I am tariff man. <laughs> and, and they'll go down 800 points the next day. So um, I think that in itself sort of speaks for the, the, the sort of irrational impact of, of how all this stuff is playing out and why being kind of patient sitting on the sidelines makes some sense. Okay, well, um, continuing on from the geopolitical um, uh, theme, let's move on to Brexit. I don't know what to say here apart from the fact that it looks problematic. At the time of recording this podcast, it's December 2018, so a lot could happen between now and whenever you're listening to this podcast. Who knows how this will all play out? Pat, any idea how you think it'll play out in the next few months? Um, Sorry to throw you under the bus there. But I, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you the honest answer. No, I don't exactly know how it's going to play out. Um, if you had if you had suggested the the, the the no vote several several months ago, you probably would have gotten laughed out of a room. If you had suggested um, a second referendum, probably the same thing. The second referendum is starting to look like it it could actually happen, um, but I think it's. It's too much of a mess to try to predict right oh, now. Well, yeah. it's hard enough to predict what's going on next week, let yeah. alone in you know three, four, five months' time. But um, on the topic of uh, the no confidence vote, I, never good when you have to go through the process of a, no, a vote of no confidence, especially if it's close. Yeah, it's not really a win you should celebrate. No. I, I guess I kind of like winning a like a an AFLX game. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, before we move on. Pat, did you did you happen to see Theresa May's um, the the video of her dancing and the yes. video of her when she was locked out of her own car? Yeah, and, hard and, to, hard to miss those. Yeah, yeah. so I, I I just wonder like how much of those two is just <laughs> kind of this this vicious spiral where it's just uh, one thing after another. Anyway, yeah. anyway, uh, we've we've, uh, we've t- spoken on that enough. I, I noticed recently that um, I think t- Tony Blair has gotten back into the. Um, into the dialogue of, uh, of pushing for the second referendum. So I think there's, if, if I had to give maybe 
a guess as to how this might play out. I think it may end up in a, in a boxing match <laughs> between Theresa May and Tony Blair. Um, oh. uh, maybe on Jan 1, New Year's Day, of you know, re- refer- second referendum or not. And I, I, I probably like her odds. She's probably got better reach. Uh, I'd do pay-per-view for that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. All right. uh, Moving on to emerging markets. Um, I'm calling emerging markets the Adelaide Crows of asset classes. Why? Well, um, they both had great performance and were fantastic in 2017, but the wheels certainly fell off them both in 2018. Crows went on that infamous camp in 2018 that seemed to be the start of their fall, and I don't know what could be the country equivalent of this, um, what it could be. Maybe what's going on in Argentina or Venezuela, which are uh, two countries a part of emerging markets. Pat, once again, I'll, th- I'll throw you under the bus. What's your thoughts on what to expect from emerging <laughs> markets in 2019? Uh, I'm actually reasonably po- positive on emerging markets, um, at least as, as, as a portion of a portfolio and, and the outlook for 2018. I think it'll be probably uh, hard for them to repeat the performance of 20 plus percent. Of I think it did 26 percent or something yeah, in 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, obviously a strong performance and then, you know, followed by um, recent weak performances. As, as fear sets into the market, emerging markets tends to be the, one, the asset class that, that suffers the most quickly. Mm-hmm. But I think a, a, once a lot of the unknowns that are driving the market now kind of get clarified a little bit, um, I, I think the interest rate backdrop, I think the, the, the trade war backdrop, once those things are a little bit more clear and the fact that I think global growth might be slowing down, but I don't think it's coming to a screeching halt, I think you'll see people viewing emerging markets as a, as a good growth asset to hold again. And you'll see you're already starting to see it in some of the, the currency um, currency rebound of some of those countries. I think you're starting to see people realize that there's some value there. And I would expect it to, to have, have a reasonable outlook for 2019. Well, I, I touched on um, Argentina and Venezuela, which is you know just uh, South America. You know, China's China, the, sure. China's yeah. the obvious, sure. obvious one that, yeah. that um, fuels emerging markets. And one thing that I, I was pretty surprised to see, I think I'm pretty sure South Korea still qualifies um, as a country in emerging markets, even though I, I think of South Korea as a, almost a, as similar to yeah. Japan. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how the how the criteria work work for that, but I, or what their weighting is and the overall index. Of, mm. uh, but you, you, you're correct to point out that China would be the big driver there. Okay, moving back to home, and let's let's touch on the Royal Commission. Yeah, some of the stories that have come out of it have been pretty sad. And I guess what a great process for the wealth industry to go through. Um, it certainly revealed some terrible stories, which I've just, I've just touched on, and revealing this terrible behaviour which has been allowed in the industry. Pat, anything you'd like to say on this? When did, actually, when does the full report come out? I think the full report's due to come out uh, Feb one. Yep. Um, presumably, they're you know. Possibly it could get delayed, but that's the goal with the interim report having come out last September. And uh, you're right, Ted. I think think the the preliminary findings were arguably worse than anyone might have thought they might be. Yep. And and I think um, people thought they were going to be pretty bad anyway. So uh, quite a shocker on, on that one. And I think probably illuminates how much needs to be fixed. Yeah. Um, and therefore how long it might take and how how deep seated. The cultural uh, and management issues are that need to be unwound, and I think it'll take take a fair bit of time. And because it's, a, you know, there's an overlay of politics in terms of what will be recommended and what will be implemented, 
uh, it, it'll take a while for, for, for a true you know, reform of reformation of the, of the industry. Okay. Well, from one shocker to another, let's, let's touch on Bitcoin. <laughs> so the peak was about 12 months ago. Yeah. Uh, I think it was December 2017 that, uh, where the peak was. This is just a great example of recency bias, I think. And uh, the recency bias involves when we put more emphasis on something more recent than um, uh, something that happened uh, further back in the past uh, because people got really wrapped up in more recent performance. Uh, Bitcoin has kind of dropped off like Christmas trees in January 1. Um, I wrote a piece on Bitcoin at the start of the year outlining all the reasons why uh, we're not touching it. Who knows what 2019 has in store for Bitcoin. Pat, how's your Bitcoin portfolio going? <laughs> It's going beautifully because I haven't lost any money because it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm just being facetious. No, so. I know, I know. Um, you know, look, I think um, it's it, to state the obvious, it's a highly speculative investment with assets like Bitcoin. The very, very, very early adopters are the ones that get to say later on that they made uh, piles of money. And then those that get in, you know, later on are the ones who... who Suffer the volatility, but it's a great, with, great line. I like um, what the genius does first; the fool does last. And yeah, I feel but it's so relevant to Bitcoin. yeah. But you know, it's interesting though, Ted. Though, as you know, as the as the price goes down, uh, there's a trade where there's a buyer and a seller, right? So somebody's taking that opposite bet, and in some way, shape, or form, they're probably making some money, whether they've shorted yeah. or whatever it is. But to state the obvious, I think if someone likes it as an asset, it should be a very small portion of their asset class and and what the outlook is given the given the nature of you know the competitive dynamics of it and the and the unknowns related to it it should be viewed as a very purely speculative asset i I like keeping an eye on it but that's probably more just for entertainment instead of uh actual investment insight so let's move on to the heroes and villains for 2018 um I'll, I'll i'll kick things off my hero for 2018 is uh, Rowena Orr. Oh, you stole one of mine. Oh, really? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I have some backups good. Though. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have backups, so uh, I'm, I'm happy I got in first. But hasn't she just been so impressive yeah, throughout yeah, the, the Royal Commission? Yeah. Inspiring. Yeah. Very inspiring. If I ever got into trouble, I, I think I'd be uh, calling uh, Rowena out. Uh, okay, let, let's let's go on to your heroes. Pick, I have two on my mind. Um, one on a more serious note. Um, Paul Costello was one of the founding investment committee members of Six Park, uh, a phenomenally decent guy who passed away recently. Very sad. Uh, Paul was one of the foundations of, of Six Park and set up the sovereign wealth funds of both Australia and New Zealand, as well as doing a variety of other things that I could expand on. Beyond his activities in the and the, the sovereign wealth fund is um, the we, we know it as the future fund. Yeah, the future fund. And yeah. I, I think that, that that manages Australia's money. What, what's that up to? One hundred and sixty billion or yeah, something like something that. Like and, that. And, and Paul, founding general manager. Found, founding general manager. Uh, one of the most humble, decent human beings I've ever known, and I I, I just feel privileged to have interacted with him. Uh, he taught me. You know more about life and, and being a decent person than he did about finance, and that's actually saying a lot. So in you know, how you define a hero for me, I, I put them right up, put Paul right up there. The other, I'm a gridiron tragic in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's Drew Brees. Oh. Um, so as I, think of, as I think of a hero, I think of um, obviously somebody who uh, is inspiring in a lot of ways, who's got a tremendous skill set, phenomenally dedica- dedicated to his craft, is able to, you know, perform at a high level over time. 
great moral compass, all those different things. Drew Brees is, to me, is just a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, hero in many ways. He's 39 years old. For those that don't know, he's the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. He was, he was there when her, Hurricane Katrina ravaged the city. He's the all-time leader in yards in the NFL, uh, 75,000 yards, I think, over, over his career. He currently, at age 39, has the highest passer rating in the NFL. He's peaking at age 39, um, but probably most impressively, He's six feet tall, and in the NFL, that's just unprecedented. I'm six feet tall. He, he's throwing. So, so he's short. So he's by quarterback standards nowadays. You know, what would Tom Brady be? Tom Brady be six four, six five. Yeah. Seven, Peyton Man, all those guys. Because you can't see over those linemen. Yeah. In front of you, who are all now, you know, six feet five, three hundred and thirty pounds. Somehow, this guy, it's it, who's who's you know extremely short relative to the, the rest of the people on the field is able to go out there and perform at the highest level. Highest I'm, I'm, I'm picking up a subtle theme here. I, I feel like you're liking Pat. I, I do. I do. I just think, um, again, as much both what he does on the field and off. He's well, off, off the field, off, mem- off the top of my memory, I'm pretty sure Drew Brees isn't too good at making diamond investments. I, I, I've, <laughs> I, I do I recall reading something about Drew making some poor diamond investments. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, Google that if you'd like to find out more because I, I can't remember that, but I think he bought some oh, diamonds yeah. which turned out to not be diamonds and uh, lost multiple millions yeah, of dollars. I- yeah, I just he um, he's human, okay. which, which is which is also part of being a hero. So he's made his mistakes, but he's he's given back a lot to society. But also just uh, the way he's performed in in life to me is very inspiring. Okay, well I'll keep an eye out for him. Um, shockers, let's let's move on to shockers. Actually, did you have any more heroes? No, I had Rowena Orr in there. As yeah, an okay, honorable mention. yeah, Rowena. Yeah. Um, uh, shockers. Uh, I'll go through my shockers first. Actually, no, I'll, I'll let you go first. I went first for uh, the heroes. It's it's predictable and boring, probably to some extent. But um, and this is not for political reasons. But I'd have to put maybe just Trump in the nature of politics in the U.S. right now. Yeah. And, and obviously, I'm, I'm from the U.S., and so it probably resonates home a bit. But it's it's hard to see the polarization of the what used to be sort of civil discourse over there. Um, uh, deteriorate to the point where it is now, and my hopes are, and, and you know, I guess I wouldn't point the finger entirely at Donald Trump, but I think he's probably a, a bit of a driver of that. And and my hope is that that out of out of this sort of mess that's evolving in the way um, politics is working over there, that there's a rebound into something a bit more more, more normal over time. But uh, and then the other, which is again, it's a pretty obvious one, is just. The problems in the banking system that are emerging now, which 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 we, we kind of recognize when we set up Six Park, but surprisingly they're actually a bit worse than we even thought. Yeah, well, I agree. I've, one of my villains is uh, is the Aussie banks. I've put it's not so much a villain, but someone who's had a poor year at tech stocks, which we've yep. already touched on. Yeah, you mentioned Trump, but um, I'll put my Australian politicians in there too, is in particular the Liberal Party, yep. who's had a bit of a year to forget as well. Uh, on the sporting side, I feel like rugby union has had a bit of a shocker this year too, yeah. going backwards and um, closer to, to my AFL world. Uh, I feel like the Gold Coast Suns have, uh, I'll, I'll put them in that category not, too. Not, not quite up to your standards? No, no, no. Okay, so um, let's move on. I, I started the competition at the start of 2018. I put out a poll as to uh, where I asked people on Twitter at the start of the year, what out-of-favour investment from 2017 would actually bounce the most in 2018? 
I put down four options. Uh, McGrath Real Estate, which is a ASX-listed uh, company. I put Maya Bitcoin. I put down, them down because it, um, it started to fall off a bit. And I put down a pair of Crocs as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that. Okay. Well, um, I, had, I had hundreds of votes. It was really yeah. interesting. And um, most people thought that the Crocs were going to hold up. Yeah. Shares in Maya, over the course of the last 12 months, shares in Maya and McGrath Real Estate have pretty much halved in price. Um, Bitcoin is now about a quarter of the price that it once was at the start of the year. Um, So they've all gone backwards, but as people predicted, the Crocs have actually gone up in price with um, CPI inflation being at about 1.9%. You're talking retail price here? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm talking retail price. So uh, congratulations to the humble pair of Crocs for being... The Richards Report, Best Contrarian Investment for 2018. Well done. Stay tuned to my Twitter account in January. I think that I need to do a competition like this again. Please tweet me your investment nominations. My Twitter handle is at TedRichards25. And if you're not on Twitter, you can find me on Facebook at The Richards Report. All right. um, Enough about that 2018 competition and the uh, upcoming 2019 competition. Lessons from 2018. All right, what have we learned? Well, from my perspective is don't take sandpaper onto a field for a game of cricket. Pat, any any lessons for you from uh, 2018? Possibly um, dovetailing with the Crocs oh, uh, yes. w- winning the award. Uh, w- one of mine is just to uh, keep it simple, yep. which I know is um, sort of simple, but I think both in terms of the learnings with Six Park and the business activities we do, and the way we engage with clients, and the way we communicate with clients, and also for, for, for me personally in, in life as um, we get kind of bombarded more with social media and a variety of other technology gadgets and whatnot, which are great in some ways, but also can clutter your life up some. I think one of my lessons, as it's been a bit really really busy but rewarding year, is to always remember to try to keep things simple where you can. Um, it helps you keep focused on your, on your you know, priorities in life. And then I did have an honorable mention um, in terms of lesson of 2018. As I would um, walk through the airports, I, I, I've always felt like I was probably the only one that didn't have one of those suitcases on the rollers. As Ted, you and I made more and more trips to Sydney to, uh, for, for work reasons. I finally bit the bullet. And, and uh, you inspired me with the, with the elegance of rolling through the airports with the, with the suitcase on the rollers, which I never thought I'd get to, but I got there. Uh, okay, well, w- what a mentor I am. <laughs> Very inspiring. Okay, um, on the topic of Six Park, let's have a, a brief touch on the Six Park portfolios and asset classes. Sure. Um, what have we seen from the Six Park assets in 2018? I think we've touched on emerging markets yeah. and, and a about what we saw in 2017 and um, uh, 2018. We've seen some um, asset classes actually have a, a quite a good year. Yeah, I think it's been a year where, I mean, if you look at 2017, which um, was probably a, a little bit of an anomaly in terms of on the upside with, with, with emerging markets north of 20% and- International equities. International, uh, well north of 10%, same with Aussie shares, pretty much every asset class, I think, I think I think the, the global property was sort of flat, but it was a great year across most asset classes, um, which was um, probably driving the relative calm in the market. And obviously, that's changed changed this year. The international shares, despite even the, the recent pullback, I think through November, uh, are still up around four or five percent. So had a good great start to the year, and then have obviously come off the boil a bit re- 
bit recently. The Australian market obviously struggled a bit down year to date. One of our favorite asset classes is global infrastructure just because of the kind of the, both the defensive and the growth, uh, growth nature of the asset class. On the topic of infrastructure, I think some people kind of a bit unsure what that is, but I think the number one holding in the, in the infrastructure asset class is um, transurban. Right. And if you're in um, parts of Australia, transurban own toll roads. I think they even own toll roads in the US too. So um, what a fantastic source of... Uh, Ongoing revenue, yeah, cash flow, yeah. uh, long-term contracts, and um, you know, not, not, not immune from uh, cyclical envi- uh, environments, but a lot of the probably political tailwinds of investment in infrastructure globally uh, has really sort of benefited that asset class. And um, interestingly, the uh, global property index fund that we use is up close to 4% uh, through the end of November. So that's been an outperformer relatively to date. um, And I think the number one holding for the global property uh, in terms of countries is US, which have had a a fantastic uh, year in terms of uh, property performance. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've um, touched on the Royal Commission. Uh, That's coming out, that full report's coming out shortly. And just before we move on from that, I just want to say how much I'd love to get Rowena or on as a guest for the Richards Report. Good luck with that one. Okay, um, let's move on to a New Year's resolution. I read a great line the other day, and I feel like it's kind of important for New Year's resolutions. The line was, we are judged on what we finish, not what we start. So probably not so much a prediction, but just some of the goals that I want to achieve. Uh, I don't know why, but I've identified that I want to try and run a marathon. At some stage this year, I want to learn how to touch type. I'm, I'm not proud of the fact that I can't touch type. Uh, I don't even know what that means. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've really got to get better at this. Um, I really want to improve my writing too. Um, I've just finished a book called No One Wants to Read Your Shit, <laughs> which uh, jumped out to me. And uh, anyway, I'm impressive re- that you finished it. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I really enjoyed it. Pat, any um, New Year's resolutions from you? Um, I, yeah, I, I have. Um, I, I tend to think of more of goals than res- resolutions. Yeah, we, yeah we, exactly. we have. We have um, obviously within. In the working environment, we have a variety of very ambitious goals with, with Six Park as we continue to grow and, and reach more consumers. And so those would be on the work front, sort of the key ones that I want to, I want to elaborate on. But uh, myself and, and the team, generally speaking, those are quite important. For me, a lot of my uh, goals revolve around fitness. And each year, I do sort of try to think I'm going to be as fit at the end of the year, if not fitter than I was at the start of the year which gets a little bit harder as you get a little bit older. But I think that's always a good good goal to have. Well, Pat, you did your first kettlebell workout this morning. <laughs> yeah, I did. I had a So few... uh, good luck with the soreness that you're going to get over the next 48 hours. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll be walking funny in, in, in class. And, and I've got other... Um, I've got a goal of uh, getting in the proverbial green room on a surfboard, which is something that I'll aim for this year. Also, some travel goals. I, I, I'm from the U.S., so most of my travels back to see family around the th- Thanksgiving and Fourth of July... Uh, which precludes me at times from getting out into in some other areas of Australia and, and Asia that I want to go to. So uh, that's also on the list for the year ahead. All right, we'll, we might have to keep an eye on how you're going with the uh, on the surfboard in the green yep. room. So to finish, I love putting these podcasts together and what a year it's been. I did a handful of podcasts in 2017. I probably did four or five in 2018. The podcast has really grown so much that earlier in the month it just ticked over 26 thousand downloads which um, I'm very proud of if you enjoy the podcast can you please tell a friend 
And if you don't have any friends, um, tell your mum. And please give me a ratings on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. This helps spread the word, which helps the quality of guests I get onto the show. Hope that you had a great Christmas. If you're like the many that have New Year's resolutions around sorting out your finances and getting invested in the market, then go to the Six Park website where there's some information as to an upcoming promotion we have to start off the new financial year. Okay, see you next time on The Richard Report.